If someone were to ask you about the things you love, you might say that you love a hot cup of coffee on a cold winter day and lazy Saturday mornings. Maybe you would dig deeper than that and talk about how much you love your kids or the fact that you have the best friends in the whole world. With so many things that vie for our attention and affection, where does Jesus fall? Today on Bloom, we'll talk about falling in love with our first love all over again. I'm your host, Jen Robinson, for August 18th, 2020. Welcome to Bloom. This is a podcast designed to inspire, encourage, and grow women in their relationship with each other and the Lord. So summer is getting ready to wind down, and soon it will be fall. And I have to say, I am a fall girl. By this time in August, I am already dreaming of mums and pumpkin spice lattes dancing in my head. I love all the warm smells, flavors, and colors of fall, the soups and stews and all the comfort food that comes back after all the grilled food and salad that the summer has. I also look forward to the merging of two favorite fashion comforts. I think a lot of us can relate to this, the days that you can wear sweaters and flip-flops. It is a good day when I can comfortably wear those two things at the same time. So the other day, I was sipping my hot chocolate. Yes, I drink hot chocolate all year round. My family thinks I'm nuts. And I was eagerly anticipating the fall and everything I love about it when I felt the Holy Spirit quicken with these words, fall in love with Jesus. As I sat there pondering this thought, I struggled to grasp what exactly God was trying to convey. After all, I do love Jesus. In fact, I've loved Jesus almost as far back as I can remember. So what was I missing? From there, I began reminiscing when I first met my husband, Jesse, almost 16 years ago. It didn't take me long to realize that I was falling in love with him. So because I was falling in love, what did I do? Well, for starters, I wanted to spend time with him. In fact, I wanted to spend a lot of time with him. I wanted to learn more and more about him. What are his likes, his dislikes, his favorite ice cream? What are his lovable quirks? Because let's face it, everything is adorable at this point. And even when I wasn't with him, I was always thinking about him. Another thing we often do when we're in love is we make that person a priority. There are no excuses not to call them back or get together to see them because you genuinely desire to be with them. It is important and it matters to you that you make time for them. No one has to twist your arm. Even if you had to rearrange your schedule, you would, right? Because they are just that important to you. It's funny that we go out of our way for the other person in the beginning of a relationship, but then over time, interestingly, the opposite tends to happen. Over time, that same relationship that we so desperately made top priority at one point changes. Somewhere along the way, we become comfortable. We settle for stagnant, we're content with complacency, and perhaps even take them for granted or completely neglect the relationship altogether. This can happen with a spouse or even a close friend. But I discovered the same can be true with our relationship with Jesus. 
When we first fall in love with Christ, we are head over heels in love with a God who would care so deeply for us that He would send His only Son to die for our sins. A God who we know to become our healer, provider, counselor, redeemer, and friend. We marvel at each new revelation and are in awe of His sweet promises and His amazing grace. We cling to His every word, desiring to know Him more and to have a richer relationship with Him. We linger all the longer in His presence, and we're not quite in the same hurry to get to our next appointment. He is our everything. We're so excited just to spend time with Him. But then sometimes life's demands and disappointments cause us to lose that fire for God. And as an unfortunate result, we become complacent. Now, the problem with complacency is that when we are complacent with something or someone, they tend to not be as high of a priority to us. Other things begin to take precedent and therefore compete to hold higher positions of our attention and affection. In the book of Revelation, God speaks about the accounts of seven different churches. I've always found the study over these seven churches to be really fascinating. Even though Revelation can be a very intimidating book to read, I have to say I'm very thankful that Grace Church has gone through the study of this book. So Revelation is a type of biblical genre referred to as apocalyptic writing because it speaks to future events. Yet, when I read about the seven churches, it kind of feels like a very timely message of instruction for the church today. So in order to understand the message, we first have to consider some background information of Ephesus. Ephesus was a large and prominent city on the west coast of Asia Minor. It was well known as the most important trade center west of Tarsus, Ephesus was also the largest city in the province with an estimated population of 300,000 people. Both of these facts give us a little bit of an understanding of just how important Ephesus was. But one of the most significant cultural defining aspects of Ephesus was religion. Ephesus was the home of the Temple of Artemis, who was believed in Greek mythology to be the moon goddess. She was the twin sister of Apollo and the daughter of Zeus. So if you know anything about Greek mythology, um, she definitely is an important god. So we learn a little bit about Artemis in the book of Acts during Paul's extensive ministry in Ephesus and the early development of the Ephesian church. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul made a final brief trip to Ephesus, he met with the elders and told them this warning. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears." So we see here, Paul is delivering a message to the Ephesian church that when he departs, some will come in to try and lure disciples away. He commands them to be diligent and watchful and to remember this warning. So you might be wondering, 
what does that have to do with the Ephesian church in Revelation and falling in love with Jesus? Well, let's go there and find out. In Revelation, Jesus gives an exhortation to the church in Ephesus. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you can read along with me in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now that might sound like a mouthful, and there is definitely a lot to unpack here. But one of the things that we're going to talk about um, is that the Ephesian church had some unique challenges for a Christian follower, and that it was home to the emperor's cult, and the people there worshipped Artemis. So there was a lot of um, paganism going around. And so over time, the Ephesian church did develop some discernment And so God is acknowledging that they have developed this strong discernment towards false doctrine and heresy. And Jesus commended them for having such discernment. But then he faults them for having lost their first love. The Ephesian church had lost their initial excitement and zeal for doing God's work. Over the years, between the time of Paul's ministry and the revelation Jesus revealed to John on the island of Patmos, their excitement waned. The same gospel message that was so invigorating and exciting before had become simply less significant. It wasn't that they completely lost the love that they had for Christ, but that it was no longer considered to be their most valuable treasure. Dear sisters, how often do we allow other things to come first in our hearts. Most of us would say Christ is the center of our lives. But if we were to examine our schedules, possessions, and dare I even say bank accounts, would it be just as apparent that Christ truly is our number one, our first love? We can attend church services, read our Bibles, and quote scripture, but if He does not hold first place in our lives— meaning he is ranked above all other things, then we are just as guilty as the church in Ephesus. You know, maybe these words shook you a little bit, and that's okay. There has been a lot of shaking up in our world today. And I'd like to think that maybe that's exactly what the body of Christ needs. We have become comfortable to remain in our church circles 
and we become complacent with having Sundays be our only designated appointment for God. I believe this shakeup in our society calls for a wake-up in the church, and it all begins with remembering who our first love is. John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. What does it mean to remain in Jesus' love? The Greek word for remain is, and I, I do not ever profess to be a professional at um, how to pronounce Greek words, so bear with me, but the, the Greek word for remain is meno, and it means dwelling in a particular place, remaining there, abiding there. When being used in reference to our relationship with Christ, meno suggests to have a steadfast relationship with Jesus. We continually pursue His presence. When it came to other relationships, what if we said something like, I'm sorry, but I just don't have the time. I'm too busy to hang out. You know what? Tell you what, I'll give you 10 minutes. How does that sound? How would your family and friends respond to that? How would your job respond to that? And yet we do it all the time to God. We allow other things to come in and be first. Perhaps we don't come out and say it that way, but our actions and lack of time in His presence says it. As I said in the beginning of this podcast, I love the changing of seasons. And I also love the fact that even though the seasons change, Jesus does not. His love does not change. It is never failing. So let us not forget our first love. Like the church in Ephesus, we also live in a culture where it can be a challenge to be a follower of Christ. By this, but this is a time for the church to become stronger and regain their zeal for God. A time to fight off the savage wolves, the things that take us away from God, the things that lure us away from God and His presence, so we can pursue a deeper intimacy with Him. If you are desiring to fall in love with Jesus for the first time or fall in love with Him all over again, I would love to encourage you to consider joining a class or Bible study this fall. There are so many exciting opportunities to grow with others in the Lord and rekindle that passion for our first love. There are a variety of on-site and online classes available. If you're interested, please check out the website www.gracecma.org for more details. I just wanted to say a special thank you for tuning in today. I hope you will join me back on September 1st to welcome a special guest in part two of this series, Falling in Love with Jesus. Keep growing and God bless.